Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And my guest is Gerald McDermott, who teaches at, uh, at Beeson Divinity School. And I'm going to let you lay out your official title and, and tell us a little bit about the book that we're going to be talking about. Sure, Daryl. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, I am the Anglican Chair of Divinity at Beeson Divinity School. Uh, I run the Institute for Anglican Studies here. Mm-hmm. We, we train uh, Beeson students for the ministry in, uh, and various types of ministry in the Anglican Communion, uh, which is a worldwide communion. Um, and I also teach courses uh, on Jonathan Edwards, Theology of World Religions, um, and these are all areas in which I have uh, you know, written books and and uh, do a lot of lecturing. So uh, the book that um, uh, you have graciously agreed to have to talk with me about is called "Famous Stutterers," uh, and the subtitle uh, is 12 Inspiring People Who Achieved Great Things While Struggling with an Impediment." And I'm going to hold this. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Okay. We can see that. Very interesting. And so, so um, uh, I'm, I'm almost hesitant to speak now that you've mentioned the topic. But uh, let me let me ask you one question about your Beeson situation. We'll turn to the book. Yes. Yep. Uh, are there other chairs of other denominations at Beeson, or are you the first and only? What's what's how does that work? No, there's a Presbyterian chair. I mean, Beeson, uh, and I love this about Beeson. It's interdenominational. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timothy George, the dean, the founding dean, is a Baptist, and we have other Baptist professors, but we have um, Presbyterian professors, we have two Lutheran professors, we have actually seven Anglican professors, hmm. um, uh, and we have several, you know, one or two other uh, denominations represented. Uh, but we're all Orthodox, thank God. Uh, we're all on the same page in terms of great tradition Christianity. Uh, we're all uh, classically evangelical, uh, and thus on the Protestant side of things. Although, of course, Anglicans, uh, you know, some Anglicans say we we're in the via media, <laughs> yeah, uh, the way in the middle, the demilitarized uh, zone, huh? The demilitarized. <laughs> <laughs> With the best of the Catholic uh, worship tradition and the best of the Protestant preaching tradition. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't realize there were other chairs of other denominations there. That's actually why I asked, because uh, uh, you're in an interesting location there in Birmingham. It's a beautiful campus. And so, uh, yeah, uh, interesting. Okay, well, I, I learned something. That's I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Well, let's talk about your topic. You say you've got 12. Now, this that sounds like an apostolic group or something. I'm, um. Um, I was – I did have that thought kind of in mind when I settled on 12 instead of 11 or 13. Okay. Uh, from Moses to Marilyn Monroe. 
Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> so here's the list of the 12. Okay. They're, all, they're all but one are stutterers, and I'll explain why in just a second. Okay. Moses, and then Aristotle. So I have a chapter on each. Okay. So Moses, Aristotle, Demosthenes. And the title of that is The Stutterer Who Wasn't, but he's probably the most famous stutterer in history. You know, the famous story of his trying to cure his stuttering by putting pebbles in his mouth at the seaside and trying to speak with the pebbles. Joshua Chamberlain, so I jump up to the 19th century, the the hero, of course, it depends on what part of the country I'm in, uh, whether I use the word hero, uh, of the Battle of Gettysburg. And, you know, he he was the star of the book, The Killer Angels, and the movie, The Gettysburg. He was a college professor. Hmm volunteered in 1862 to fight for the Union. And uh, uh, he he led the charge down the hill of Little Round Top. Hmm. That was the turning point in the Battle of Gettysburg. And, hmm. of course, the battle was the turning point in the Civil War. Yep. And they had run out of ammunition. And he led a bayonet drive down, down Little Round Top into a... Uh, about 300 men from Alabama. Hmm. And and anyway, uh, he went on to fight in 20 more battles, was, was, the, um, was wounded mortally at Petersburg, from the, the wounds from which he died 50 years later. Hmm. And, and anyway, he, he, he went on to become the governor of Maine, uh, he went back to become the president of Bowdoin College, from which he had left as a professor. And all the time, he's a terrible stutterer. Hmm. Then King George the Sixth, the uh, famous stutterer in uh, the movie The King's Speech, which almost everyone has seen. Right. Uh, Winston Churchill. Few people know the terrible speech impediments he had. One of which was stuttering. Hmm. Marilyn Monroe. Peter Brown, the great early church historian, the most famous biographer of St. Augustine, Hmm. uh, world-class scholar, bad stutterer. John Stossel, the the, uh, TV news journalist, most recently on uh, uh, Fox News. Mm -hmm. Um, He was, for many years, ABC News. Uh, uh, um, uh, CBS News, formerly a terrible stutterer. Hmm. Um, Annie Glenn, who's still alive, the wife of John Glenn, your um, your your older listeners, if you have any, uh, I'm sure you have millions of younger listeners. Uh, uh, but your older listeners know who John Glenn was, a famous astronaut and senator from Ohio. Well, Annie Glenn. Uh, uh, um, was his wife, and I say was because she's still alive, and he just recently died, of course. Mm-hmm. Terrible, terrible stutter, horrible stutterer, hmm. and she was, and her stutter was made famous on the movie The Right Stuff. Hmm. Um, Byron Pitts, another TV journalist, African American, uh, he's an Emmy Award winner, was a host on 60 Minutes for a number of years. Now he's at ABC News. Uh, couldn't read until he was 11 years old, stuttered terribly until he was 20, and he's still a stutterer, but he's learned ways to cope and be a famous and successful TV journalist. And then finally, the last chapter, John Updike, 
the great American novelist, the winner of two Pulitzer Prizes. Uh, he's writing, he, he, he wrote extensively uh, about his stuttering. Fascinating story. Hmm. So, so what drew you into this topic? I mean, it's not an. It's. I wouldn't call this the average Christian book. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so, so what? What po- yeah. pulled you into this topic? Well, first of all, this is the first secular book that I've written. Mm-hmm. It's. It is not a Christian book per se. Now, there are all sorts of subtle things in the book mm-hmm. uh, for those with eyes to see mm-hmm. and ears to hear. Uh, but I'm a stutterer. Hmm. I used to be a terrible stutterer, and I still stutter. Uh, and for years, I kept a list, perhaps more for comfort, of famous stutters. Hmm. And about 20 years ago, my sons who were getting older said, Dad, why don't you write a book on those famous stutters? I said, yeah, someday, uh, someday I'm writing all these other books. I don't have time. Well, about three years ago, I finally sat down and wrote the book, uh, you know, over a number of months, and it was the most fun book I've ever written. I now I've, you know, uh, I've done a lot of books like you, Daryl. I know you've written about a hundred books. Uh, I haven't written as many as you, but I've written a lot, and uh, this was the most fun time I ever had writing a book. Hmm. Yeah, well, that uh, I'll add a name to your list, even though it's not covered in the book. I think I mentioned this to you when you were here uh, earlier in the year. Uh, and that is George Springer, who plays outfield for the Houston Astros, is a famous stutterer. And actually, um, ESPN and other uh, and other news agencies are aware of this. And of course, you know he, he ends up having to be interviewed daily sure, <laughs> after sure. the games because he's yeah. having this year at least a very uh, successful season and uh, has become one of the major outfielders and all star now. Um, and uh, and so he stu- he stutters and he talks a lot about it. I mean he's he? he's, he's not shy about talking huh. about what he's been through, et cetera. So uh, I've heard him on more than one occasion um, sit down and walk through what that experience was like and the and the trauma of it. And that's actually part of the reason why we wanted to talk about this is because there's not only the the fact, maybe even the surprising fact that some people on the on the list that you've named. Um, are stutterers, but it raises the whole issue, it seems to me, of um, of the way in which people can be either discriminated against or underestimated for one reason or another, um, and that uh, some f- forms of physical disability um, uh, 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 you know, lead to this. And so there's a sense in which there's a uh, uh, a non-talked-about factor here that I think is important uh, for people to realize, including people in the church. In fact, we're a week away here in our chapel from having someone speak to our students who's engaged full-time in ministry to the deaf and uh, and and is going to talk to our students about not discounting this large, actually larger group of people than you might realize um, uh, from uh, – you know, coming in into the scope of ministry. Well, that's interesting, the deaf, because the departments in universities that typically um, deal with stutterers and try to help stutterers uh, uh, are audiology departments. So usually hearing and speaking um, uh, are related physiologically uh, anyway, 
and usually the same departments of professors deal with both with with um, both those problems. Hmm. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit about some of these. You you gave little cameos, but I think um, some more detail might be nice. Now someone might go, "Oh, I didn't realize Moses was a stutterer. I thought he just you know complained about not being articulate." Um, uh, so uh, so what 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 makes you think that Moses belongs in the category? Well, um, I make a long argument in that chapter. Uh, and by the way, this book is written for non-scholars. It's it's uh, it's very accessible, uh, I think. Uh, and people have told me this who have read the book. But um, it's it's right there in the Bible. And uh, you know, the rabbis have written this have have written about this extensively. It's in Exodus four, hmm. and uh, um, uh, you know, it's where. God is is telling to Moses uh, is telling Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, mm-hmm. and Moses says, "God, God, you got the wrong guy. Um, I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm I'm not eloquent. I never have been. Um, I am, and here's here's from the Hebrew, and." And Daryl, you probably have this memorized in in the Hebrew. Uh, I am heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue, and that's mm. the literal Hebrew there. Mm. Um, and many, many rabbis and Jewish scholars, a few Christian, but mostly Jewish, have discussed this at length mm. over the millennia. What does this mean? And there's a general consensus. This means Moses was a stutterer. Hmm. And I, as a stutterer, uh, uh, always suspected this because of that. Fr- those phrases, heavy of mouth, heavy of tongue. A stutterer feels exactly like that. Hmm. That your tongue and... Uh, you know, which of course is a, a a primary instrument of speech, feels so big and so heavy you can't control it. You can't make it do what you want it to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there's other evidence in uh, the scripture for uh, Moses being a stutterer. Um, uh, in the book of Exodus, uh, but that's the principal piece of evidence. And and there's even modern evidence. Uh, so, uh, for instance, uh, Moses found someone to speak for him. Now, why does he do this? You know, was it just that he was shy? Um, and uh, actually, the biblical text says, God says, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, which suggests choral speaking, C-H-O-R-A-L, choral. You know, the two brothers speaking at the same time. And this is plausible because most stutterers speak fluently. When they read or speak the same words with another person speaking at the same time, um, and and also um, Moses uses two sensory tricks to help get his words out. Um, he used the rod of God, a staff, and many stutterers 
use all sorts of things to help them get the words out. And that's why sometimes stutterers look spastic. Sometimes they look like they're doing strange, even repulsive things. And that sadly, they have developed these little habits in order to help them get the words out. Um, and, and something else uh, that all stutterers will tell you, and, and, and people who listen to Mel Tillis, uh, the country western singer, I know this, no stutterer stutters when he's singing. There's something about singing, and that's a clue to what causes stuttering. Hmm. And, and, and Moses sang some of his longest utterances in the Bible. Uh, Exodus 15, you, you know, the Song of Moses, Deuteronomy 31 and 32. Hmm. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, let, me, let me talk about a couple of other ancients that you bring up, because my guess is that people aren't as – familiar with these, although I, uh, some of the modern ones you brought up are not necessarily familiar names either. Um, but uh, Aristotle, that's almost yes. surprising. Yes. Okay. Right. Uh, brilliant. Um, but when it comes to communication, had to fight, fight his way through it. Yeah. Scholars have uh, – uh, historians of philosophy have long known that, that Aristotle had a speech defect. Uh, but they typically thought it was a lisp. But I have gone into the Greek, and on the basis of what Aristotle actually says and the words he chooses, uh, is pretty clear to me, and I make this argument in the chapter, that it was not a lisp, but rather it, it was a stutter. And one of the uh, more circumstantial lines of evidence is what Aristotle says about um you know, stuttering. Aristotle wrote about everything. Mm -hmm. and, and he has a long description of stuttering that those of us who stutter know only a stutterer could know. Hmm. So uh, both his choice of vocabulary and also his description of stuttering point in the direction of that being his speech defect rather than lisping. Hmm. Well, um, and then the third ancient figure who you mentioned is Demosthenes, and I, I, yes. I, we ought to probably retell the rock story, because I imagine most people don't know very much about that. Um, and Because uh, uh, I've heard of, of similar kinds of practices that still exist today. Is that, uh, that sure. Yeah, so, so uh, tell a little bit of the story and tell about why that is a way of dealing with this. You would think if your tongue was heavy that the last thing you wanted is a bunch of rocks. So, uh, <laughs> right. Well, um, uh, well, first of all, uh, Demosthenes, who was he? He was perhaps the most famous ancient Athenian orator and statesman. And, you know, orator, like Churchill, another stutterer, well, mm -hmm. well a stutterer, uh, one of the greatest orators in, in the history of the world. And Demosthenes famously, according to legend, had a stutter, and the way he overcame it was to go to the seaside and put and you know pick up these little stones uh, by the waves and put them in his mouth and try to speak over the roar the roar of the waves. Um, now, why would that work? Uh, uh, first of all, I'm not sure it does work long term, but I think the short term. 
uh, help it might give is it sort of uh, dis- distracts you, the speaker, from, from the problem. You're so focusing on just getting your words up in spite of these rocks or uh, little rocks in your mouth that you don't you you aren't so obsessed and nervous about um what usually makes you nervous as you speak and makes you stutter Hmm. so it's um and i say i don't think it works long term because every every trick you use is sort of a trick you know uh, you're tricking your mind Mm -hmm. you're trying to trick your mind uh every trick like that eventually wears off because you know it's like you know, getting used to drinking more caffeine. Uh, you know, you, you know, your body adjusts to it at uh, 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 adjusts to it after a while, and it doesn't work anymore. Hmm. Um, but what I discovered through my research is that, despite the fact that Demosthenes is probably the most famous stutterer in history, he really wasn't a stutterer. Hmm. He he had a weak voice. We know that, or at least he started out with a weak voice. You know, sort of a Martin Marty voice and. Mm-hmm. And Daryl, uh, you remember Martin Marty? Yeah. Uh, uh, years ago, used to be the go-to uh, religion scholar in America for the media. Mm-hmm. Um, but Demosthenes could not pronounce correctly words that start with an R. Hmm. Now, there's a name for that, and we don't need to for that problem. And, and a lot of you know people have that problem. But he became a great speaker by persistent determination. He practiced his speeches in a cave, repeating words with the R sound thousands of times, and ran up hills to strengthen his weak frame. Hmm. Greater body strength helped him learn how to project his voice, and thus became the very effective world-class orator that he eventually became. Hmm. So let's go through some of the modern uh, people that you talked about. Now, there was one name in there that I wasn't familiar with. I'm very familiar with the battle site that you alluded to, Gettysburg. Um, and uh, and so, you know, you'd think, okay, so someone's a stutterer, but they're a soldier. That's not that big a deal. Um, uh, but, a, but it is. Well, Joshua Chamberlain, uh-huh. he's, he's a um, – at least in the North, he's considered one of the foremost heroes of the Civil War because he was a college professor from Maine who uh, was given responsibility to hold Little Round Top, hmm. which was the far eastern edge of, of the Yankee line at Gettysburg. Hmm. And he was told, there's nothing between you, your line that you have to hold a little round top in Washington, D.C. Hmm. And, if, and if General Lee, if Robert E. Lee gets through you, then he's going right to Washington, D.C., and, and uh, the South is going to win. So um, Joshua Chamberlain's men from Maine, the 20th of Maine, ran out of ammunition. Hmm. And 300 men from Alabama were at the bottom of the hill, and they were coming up. And Chamberlain decided to um, lead a bayonet charge and, of course, not tell the people at the bottom of the hill, the men from Alabama, they, they did, that, that they'd run out of ammunition. So he led a bayonet charge with no ammunition, screaming at the top of their lungs, and put the Alabamians to flight and captured 
uh, well, actually, there were more than 300 because they captured 300. Hmm. And it was a turning point in the war. And Chamberlain went on to fight and always at the front. 20 more battles, was wounded several times, once mortally at Petersburg, uh, and suffered the wounds there that he died from 50 years later. Hmm. He went on to become, to go back to his college and become president of Bowdoin College. He was elected uh, four times governor of Maine by the largest margins in state history. And then he went on the, uh, after he retired on the lecture circuit, hmm. all the while with a terrible stutter. Hmm. One out of every five words he stuttered on. Hmm. Amazing. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Um, uh, uh, King George is, of course, someone that we know. Um, uh, the as you mentioned, the King's speech uh, made his story uh, famous, and of course, his his life is just one of constant coincidence. Um, you, you know, he, he wasn't going to be king, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, anyone who knows the story of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor and and how. Um, you know, the King of England resigned, basically, and all of a sudden this one who was in the royal family who was, you know, in, in the upper crust certainly of Britain, but certainly was probably going to be relegated to a life on the sidelines to some degree, all of a sudden becomes king, and, and he isn't king at just any point in time. You know, <laughs> he he ends up being king in a very important time of history because he's the king during World War II. So uh, that story is is particularly dramatic as well. And and then his wife um, uh, became famous and and almost one of the beloved figures of the royal family. Uh, she was Scottish and she was not initially well accepted into the into the family, the Queen Mother's, I think, how she came to be referred to. And the reason I'm somewhat in touch with this one is uh, my doctoral work in Scotland um, uh, uh, when I was in Aberdeen, and that was the time when Charles and Diana were happening. And so well, anyone anyone who lived in Britain during that time got to know the entire royal family in one way or another with all the uh, – uh, requisite descriptions of, of how they were viewed uh, in British society. So so that's really an interesting and fascinating in story in many ways. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and you mentioned, Daryl, that, that he wasn't going to be king. He didn't want to be king. He was terrified of being king. Sure. I, because of his stutter. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the movie shows that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, 
he became a beloved king. And his stuttering played a major role. Why? Because during the war, and as you said, uh, he was England's king, who actually worked very closely with Churchill all through the war in, 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 in jointly making decisions. Of course, Churchill made his recommendations to the king, uh, and they were mostly, you know, Churchill's decisions. But the king read all, you know, read up and counseled and uh, was right there in the thick of, of all the major decisions during the war. But he toured England throughout the war, particularly during the, the, the uh, Blitz and the Battle of Britain, when thousands of Englishmen, you know, I don't think most of us Americans uh, realize that thousands of, of, of English civilians were killed and maimed for life by the German bombing uh, during the Battle for Britain. Mm-hmm. Thousands. Yep, and then what made the Queen Mother so beloved was... She, when she was, this is of course when she was queen, with the king would tour these various sites and yes. and uh, and and connected. They connected with the person, average person in Britain in the midst of all this suffering, and really endeared themselves to the country as a result. The two of them toured, and they toured together. And what was extraordinary, and the people loved about the king, was he listened. Mm-hmm. You know, think of all the important people that your listeners have met. Uh, most important people don't spend a lot of time listening to you. Mm-hmm. They want you to listen to them. Mm-hmm. The king listened. Well, <laughs> he had a secret advantage, and that was he, he had such a hard time talking anyway. <laughs> easier to listen. Yeah. And that he became one of the favorite kings in recent centuries in England because of that. Hmm. He was such a good listener. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, let, let's let's shift gears a little bit. We may come back to a couple of the other uh, examples in a minute. Um, let's talk about what it is to, to be a stutterer, and, and I think more generically what it is to have uh, some type of a physical limitation that you, and I'll say it this way, you and everybody else is aware of, uh, you know, because this is – this is not something that you that you can hide, or at least in, unless until you train yourself, it's it's something that's obvious, and it and it and it, it can be it may it's awkward not just for the person who stutters, it can be awkward for the person who's having to listen as well and try and determine what's being said. So what's that? I mean, you said you were a stutterer. What what's that experience like? It's horribly painful. It's full of frustration. Self-hatred sometimes. Hmm. If you're a Christian, you've been praying for years that God would heal you. And and many, I, I mean, I remember for years I'd prayed and people would pray for me and they cast demons of stuttering out of me and, and pray for this healing, that healing. And I was always hopeful, of course. And until I was 37, nothing happened. Hmm. And, and, you know, you wonder, why isn't God healing me? Uh, you come to accept that this is your thorn in the flesh, a uh, very painful f- thorn you live with every day. You have good months and bad months, good years and bad years. Um, uh, there are times when you stutter very little, and then there are times when you feel like you're at the bottom of a pit. And the wa- the, the, the walls of the pit are all perfectly smooth, and they're greased. 
and there are no handholds, and there's no way, there's nothing you can do to get out of that pit. Hmm. You feel absolutely helpless and angry and frustrated. And that's what I lived through for years until hmm. I was 37. Uh, and in the church, what people will do, it's not just the church, it's outside the church, is they're, they're, all, they're usually well-meaning, uh, except for kids. Kids are cruel. Mm-hmm. And I grew up the butt of jokes, and uh, it was horrible. I, I, I always hated school, and it was largely because of my stuttering. And I never liked school until I got on, got on the other side of the lecture. Hmm. The, whole, the whole venturing into public becomes a huge battle. Uh, answering the phone mm-hmm. is one of the worst things for a stutterer because you can't control the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's actually easier to speak in public when everyone has to be quiet and you have some control than, it, than in a conversation. Uh, people are always saying, oh, uh, they're, they're always trying to fill in your silences with with their words. And I guess one word I would say to the church is, is, is don't do that. Mm-hmm. Just wait patiently. Don't, don't, don't laugh, uh, as a lot of people surprisingly do. Hmm. And, and in the church, I, I would say, if you know someone who stutters badly, particularly if they're under the age of uh, 50, and they're at least 12 years old, get them to the world's best stuttering clinic where I went hmm. and it enabled me to speak like I am speaking now hmm. and it's, it costs money but raise money give money or raise money you know just a few months ago a, uh, a world famous scholar uh, had heard about my stuttering and this book and he came to me and, and he said Jerry I've got this fantastic doctoral student one of the brightest theological students I've ever had in in my career and he's from I think it was Croatia he's brilliant but he's got a terrible terrible stutter and you know what should I say and I said I said to this world famous scholar I said get him to this stuttering clinic it's going to cost probably seven thousand dollars all all told um but just three thousand dollars for the actual treatment um raise it and I'll pray with you to help raise it. Well, thank God the money's been raised, and this doctoral student from Croatia is going to come to Roanoke, Virginia. It's the Hollands Communications Research Institute. Hmm. Hollands. Uh, it, it, it used to be associated with the Hollands University in Roanoke, Virginia. So your listeners should just Google Hollands Communications Research Institute. People come from all over the world. And have their lives changed. Hmm. Interesting. So, do that for a stutter in your church, and, and you will change his or her life. Yeah, you know, I, I'm trying to think through what kind of analogies I might paint for someone who might be able to get kind of what's going on, and that is, uh, you know, we I've, I've alluded to this. Well, I alluded to the fact that we lived in 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 Britain for a while, but we also lived in Germany. Hmm. And when you are not fluent in the language that everybody's speaking. I mean, the blessing was most people knew English so you could survive. But when you're wrestling to communicate what's in you and you can't get it out in a way that someone else can understand, that that's a part of that frustration, I would imagine, oh, yeah. that, 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 that comes in is, is just feeling 
disconnected. The other place where I, where I think of is we traveled for three weeks in Turkey, in which no one knew the language that I spoke, English. And so if you were even going something as simple as trying to get directions, you know, everything had to be signed eventually because there were no words to share. Um, that kind of, and and the the frustration uh, that really both parties in that case were having of not being able to communicate with each other on what was basically a simple question. You'd point to the map and say, you know, here, which I just indicated, I want, that's where I want to go. How do I get there? And you know, and and you're doing all kinds of things with your fingers and faces and that kind of thing to try and help put that together. The ability to communicate, which is what really we're talking about here. Um, and, and, and in the process, share a little bit of who you are is, um, is what's, what's involved here. Now, one thing I would also say, Daryl, to the church is um, don't assume you know what the cause of the stuttering is. Most people think the cause of stuttering is emotions, uh, trauma. Um, people are so nervous, and if they would just calm down, they wouldn't stutter. The, and so, therefore, the basic cause is, is, is emotional. The best research, and, and the proof is in the pudding at, at this Hollins uh, Institute, um, their, their rate of success, 90% after five years, um, uh, shows a different cause. Because their whole therapy is based upon a different causation. That is, they say the cause has nothing to do with emotions. Now, if you're nervous, you'll stutter more. But if you're nervous, you'll have more of any kind of problem you have. Uh, just because nerves accentuate stuttering doesn't mean nerves cause the stuttering in the first mm. place. Uh, there are lots of nervous people who don't stutter. There are lots of very calm calm people who stutter okay no i think the best the best research and the best results show that the cause of stuttering is neurophysiological hmm. there's something between the brain and the speaking apparatus that is that 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 is messed up neurophysiologically uh so we're we we are born with this thing it's 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 like a learning disability hmm. and it's its own kind of it, it's a speech disability and you know learning disabilities they they believe are neurophysiological and and you just have to adapt to it hmm. and and i and all of us stutters have to adapt to it so do that now is the i take it there's probably some therapy for this an analysis and the, is the core that they just kind of slow you down a little bit or yeah right uh good question uh no okay. uh, slowness does have a lot to do with it um Basically, they teach you how to talk all over again, hmm. and, and you have to humble yourself like a child in order to do it properly. And somebody famous once said something about humbling yourself like a child. Um, yeah. You know, most, most, most speech therapists do lots of good, but most speech therapists do not know how to cure stuttering. Hmm. Only these people at Hollands and, and a few other places around the country really have 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 developed this highly effective method and and you can't do it by a speech therapy lesson one hour a week uh at hollands i came for for three weeks 12 hours a day 
Hmm. And basically, you start all over. They teach you how to make all your sounds in a whole different way from the way we stutterers do it. Um, uh, so you have to learn to talk all over again. Uh, because you see, when, when we stutterers are not stuttering, even when we're speaking fluently, we typically are breathing differently from the rest of the population and moving all these muscles and nerves here uh, in our voice box differently from the rest of the population. Hmm. So we have to learn all over again how to breathe like you do, how to move all these muscles like you do from scratch for every sound. That's why it takes two or three weeks, 12 hours a day. Interesting. So, so in other words, the, normal, the movements that might be normal and almost intuitive for a lot of people are not that for a stutterer. No. And, and, and stuttering, well, speaking is habitual, so it's a learned habit. Mm-hmm. And if you're a stutterer, you have learned all the wrong habits about breathing and about um, moving your muscles and nerves up here in your speaking apparatus. And, and you have to learn this entirely new set of habits, and it's very, very difficult. But once you do, it's like, it's like learning to ride a bike. Uh, you got it. Now, now you need to practice, and I need to practice on, on a regular basis. But once you sort of get it, it it's there, thank God. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, let's let's come back to your book. Um, uh, are there any uh, are there any other of the of the more modern folks who you uh, found find or found particularly interesting? Um, uh, well, uh, people are fascinated that Marilyn Monroe is a stutterer. Mm-hmm. You doubt that? Just go to YouTube and click in, uh, type in Marilyn Monroe stuttering, and this video will come up hmm. of Marilyn telling about the agony she went through in school as a stutterer. Hmm. And uh, what happened to Marilyn was when she, when the studios out in Hollywood first begin to realize that we've got a star on our, on our hands who could go far, they sent her to a speech therapist in Hollywood. And, and the speech therapist gave her wonderful advice, which is part of what I learned at Hollands, although it might not sound like it. Slow down <laughs> and speak in a very breathy voice. Hmm. What's Marilyn Monroe? What what what's one of the things that Marilyn known Monroe for. is famous for? Yeah. A slow, breathy voice. There was a uh, you know, you know, you know, in one of her most famous movies is Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. And Billy Wilder was the director. And he tells the story of this one scene where uh, Marilyn um, comes into a hotel, goes up to a room and knocks on the door. And the guy behind the door says, who is it? And Marilyn says, it's me, baby. And And Billy Wilder says, it took us 36 takes because Marilyn could not get out the words, it's me, baby. Wow. Wow. Huh. Well, um, uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty fascinating. Um, 
so let me ask you one other question, and that is we, we've talked about how the church should deal with stutters in general. Um, have you thought about the question of, you know, stuttering's just one part of, of the way in which people have to interact? I imagine you've given some thought to how the church ministers to people with various kinds of limitations in general. What, what kind of general advice would you give in that regard? Uh, now, general advice for, for how the church how the church can be more sensitive to people who who have various kinds of limitations, that kind of thing. I I would say the best thing for the church to do is to ask them. Hmm. And and probably you'll be surprised to hear what they say. Mm-hmm. So just ask and listen. Just ask and listen. Yeah. Hmm. Uh well, this I can say this is this is uh, pretty interesting. Do you have another modern that that uh, that would draw our attention that whose story you think is interesting? Yes, um, Annie Glenn. Hmm. You know she's a Christian. Mm-hmm. She is. I think she's ninety-five now. She still skis. She is incredibly athletic. She had a horrible, horrible stutter. She still has a marked stutter when you talk to her. But even when she couldn't even go to a store, uh, because you have to ask, you, you have to talk, and particularly if you're not sure where something is, and she wouldn't go to a store because she couldn't, they'd, they'd laugh at her when she opened her mouth and, and nothing came out. Uh, even in the worst days, uh, before she went to Hollins, she's another one who who finally got her life freed by um, uh, by Hollins. She never let stut- um, stuttering define her. Hmm. I and I tell my church people and where 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 I give talks. You know, you know, every one of us has a demon, so to speak, not not literally, but every one of us has some sort of handicap that 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 afflicts us and we're ashamed of. Don't let that define you. Hmm. Your your life, you, are bigger than that handicap. And let me just tell you one little story. Okay, we're coming up to the edge of time here, so I hope you can do it quickly. When, um, when Annie, at the end of her three weeks of therapy, called John Glenn and started speaking fluently in, in, in her first few sentences over the phone, John wept. Hmm. And, and, and the first thing Annie did when she got home from her therapy is she said, John, pick up your socks. I've always tried to tell you that and couldn't get it out. <laughs> well, that's a great note to end on, uh, Jerry. I really appreciate you coming by and giving us the time to talk about stuttering and have us be sensitive to the issue of disabilities in the church. And we appreciate you taking the time with us. And we thank you for being a part of the table as well and hope you'll be back again with us soon. You're welcome, and thanks for having me on, Daryl. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.